0: I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Fred Swaniker, founder of African Leadership Academy, an institution that's dedicated to developing Africa's next generation of leaders. The school admits students from across Africa and is committed to encouraging graduates to stay in Africa. Fred founded African Leadership Academy in 2004 when he was 27 years old. He's a graduate of McAllister College in Minnesota and has an MBA from Stanford Business School. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You lived in over four countries before you were 18 years old. Why did your family keep moving?
1: You see, Ghana had an excess supply of uh, skilled labor. Uh, and so other countries in Africa as they were developing would come to, to Ghana to look for professionals like lawyers and teachers and doctors and my dad was a magistrate and my mother was a teacher so they were recruited by different countries in Africa to come and work in their civil service so that's how we moved around
0: you did your primary and secondary schooling in Africa, and then you went to McAllister College in Minnesota. What was the thinking behind that?
1: My mother had been to graduate school in Minnesota, uh, and so when I was growing up, I used to look at pictures in her album, and I would see pictures of her, you know, in in the snow. McAllister is also known in Ghana and Africa, because that's where Kofi Annan, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, went to college.
0: Did you have the intention of definitely returning, or was there part of you that thought, oh, you know what, maybe I'll stay put in the United States? No, you see,
1: one thing that all these experiences of living and working in different parts of Africa did is it made me very passionate about being an African.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So most people who grew up in Africa only know the country that they uh, were born in. In fact, their perceptions of the rest of the continent is what they see on CNN. I had seen that there was tremendous beauty in Africa and tremendous potential, that we were really the next frontier of development.
0: What did you think were the key ingredients to helping with Africa's development?
1: When I look at the history of Africa, we've been through different phases of development. Um, You had the period in the 60s, which was the independence era. You know, African countries breaking away from the shackles of colonialism and, and gaining their political independence. And then you, you moved into phase two, which was the period of real political instability. Then phase three, which is more stability, and there's more uh, semblance of democracy. And when, you know, a change of government happens by force, it's seen as an exception now, rather than the rule it was 20 years ago. The thing that's left to be done in Africa now, I believe, and this was my perception when I was graduating from Macalester College, was to create prosperity and, and to eradicate poverty. So the first job I got um, out of college was with, Maca- was with McKinsey, mm-hmm. the consulting firm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand business. I wanted to see how, um, how business was being done in Africa. And that was how I began my journey of understanding um, you know, what we needed to do to bring this next phase of change to Africa.
0: There have only been like a handful of leaders that have helped to transform African society, ranging from, you know, Nelson Mandela to Desmond Tutu. Why, is, why do you think Africa has kind of such a scarcity of leadership?
1: You see, when Ghana got independence in 1957, there was something like 18,000 university graduates in the whole of sub-Saharan Africa, if you exclude South Africa from the picture. Countries like the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, had four university graduates in 1957. So imagine the independence era arriving in Africa in the late 50s and early 60s, when Kenneth Kaunda was forming his cabinet in 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 Zambia. You know he had four university graduates to work with, and so that's the the the, the state at which Africans found themselves in the in the first set of leaders who took over the continent.
0: Your mother started a school in Botswana, and you, at age 18, became the headmaster of that school. Why did you become the headmaster of the school? My mother
1: um, was a really uh, great teacher. And uh, so the parents approached her and said, you know, would she set up a school for them? But she had no experience raising money. My dad had just passed away. He died of high blood pressure and uh, hypertension. You know, basically had a heart attack, yeah. So she didn't have any financial resources of her own, and she had to look after four kids. So she said, look, I can't quit my job as a teacher and start the school for you. What I will do is I'll start a study group. And then it grew, more and more kids came, and then the next thing was 20 kids, and then 25 kids. And then I had finished high school, and I had a year to wait before I went to college. And so my my, my mother said, you know, why don't you run the school for me? And so for a year I was the headmaster. I taught some classes, I managed some of the teachers, and dealt with the parents. and. Um, and, I, you know, in the afternoons I'd go and meet with her and we'd discuss the strategy for the next day. And today that school is one of the top-performing primary schools in Botswana.
0: And it's called Mount Pleasant English Medium School. Exactly, and it has about 300 children. Did you think, you know, during that year that, you know what, I'd like to make a career out of being the headmaster of a school?
1: Absolutely not. Um, I had no idea that one day I'd be back uh, in education and uh, in leadership development. You know, I saw my future um, as a businessman.
0: So here you were, uh, you were at McKinsey, and then you decided to go to Stanford Business School. And McKinsey uh, paid for your education at Stanford Business School, about $125,000. And you were supposed to return to McKinsey, but instead you decided to start uh, African Leadership Academy. What was the catalyst for saying, you know what, there is a scarcity of leaders in Africa. I'm going to start ALA rather than return to McKinsey.
1: So in between my first and second year at Stanford, as most MBA students do, I had to find an internship. Given that I was supposed to go back to McKinsey after my MBA was finished, I thought, let me just do something interesting. So there was a, an opportunity to go and work in Nigeria to help set up a microfinance institution. Mm-hmm. And I went to Nigeria. And in the course of that, I met these wealthy families who were complaining to me about the fees they were paying to send their you know, children to expensive boarding schools in the UK. They were paying about $50,000 a year to send them there. So I was thinking, wow, why are we paying so much money to send uh, you know, young people to these schools in the UK? Why don't we have the best education institutions in Africa that mm-hmm. can keep them on the continent? Um, because I was worried that these young people that were leaving were the future leaders of Africa. So that's when the light bulb went off and I said, you know, why don't I actually build this institution? And so I said, you know what, I need to find a way to pay this 120000 off to McKinsey and really do this. I didn't know where I was going to get the $120,000 from. But when I graduated, um, I called McKinsey and said, you know, I'm not coming back.
0: How did you raise the $120,000 to pay them back?
1: I had borrowed some money from um, my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also um, I had raised some money um, to start ALA from my friends and family. and, And part of that was the salary I was going to pay myself. And so what I did is I took the salary that I was going to pay myself and gave it to McKinsey. Mm-hmm. So, so then I had no salary to live on for the next two years.
0: And where were you living at the time?
1: In Johannesburg.
0: So what, what was it like having no salary? What, what did that mean daily?
1: <laughs> it meant daily. I didn't know where, I, where, I, where my meals were going to come from, where I would get money to buy clothes from, and you know, other basic things that people who have a salary take for granted. So I had to um, become creative in terms of the way I lived. My friends would buy me lunch. Uh, you know, so I made sure that I always had a, a lunch appointment with a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Where <laughs> did you then, live? I slept on people's couches and, you know, friends' cottages in the backyards mm-hmm. and those kinds of things.
0: Your mother, as we discussed, was an educator. What was her perspective? What? How? So how she, she
1: thought I was crazy, even though she had done it herself. She hadn't done it, I guess, in such a, a risky manner.
0: Her name's Edna, and she eventually gave you $100,000, which, by the way, have you given back to her, or was it more of a gift?
1: Well, it was, it's something I was meant to pay uh, pay back, but I think over time, she's forgiven the loan.
0: Ah, <laughs> it's a forgivable loan. Exactly. I see. So here you are, sleeping on friends' couches and having people buy you lunch. Was there one or two people in the early days that really helped to you know, get the Academy off the ground, or to make the idea of the Academy more of a reality?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, they were my, my partners, my co-founders. Um, you know, One was a, a man called Chris Bradford, who um, I had met when I was at business school. And then um, my two former bosses from McKinsey. Mm-hmm. We initially raised about $200,000.
0: And then you were looking to raise $7 million, and the bulk of that came from a woman named Rebecca Capizio. Why was Rebecca interested in African Leadership Academy?
1: We set out uh, on a search for a possible campus. And um, we went to um, this area just outside of Johannesburg called the Cradle of Humankind, which is where some of the oldest human remains have been found. It's a very beautiful setting. And there was a conference center there that we approached and said, you know, can we rent this conference center and use it for our academy? And they said, you know, sorry, we're fully utilized, but why don't you go next door? There's a property there. There was a manager at the farmhouse, and we kind of shared what we were trying to do. And he said, you know, we don't have a space there that's big enough for you to use for the campus. But the owner of this property is very interested in education. Hmm. So why don't you send us something, and we'll send it to the manager, to the owner. And we didn't know that the owner was this woman, Rebecca Capizio, who um, comes from the Oppenheimer family that owns De Beers in South Africa.
0: The Beers, the Diamond Empire. The Diamond
1: Empire, Exactly. So we sent her a one-page description of what we were trying to do, and she wrote back and said, "You know what? I don't have a facility that you can use, but I like this idea so much that I'm willing to build it for you." And we thought, "Wow, does she really know who we are? I mean, she likes. I mean, just from a paragraph, she she's uh, willing to commit. Does she know how much money we'd need?" So then we said, "You know, okay, can you know we're coming to Seattle uh, in a few weeks? Can we come and meet with you?"
0: Because she was living in Seattle at the time.
1: Exactly. That's why she wasn't at her property when we visited, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we went and met with her. And uh, you know, we said, "Look, this is going to cost us about five million dollars to build it. Are you willing to commit this money?" And she said, "Yeah," <laughs> and uh, that changed everything.
0: Do you remember that that specific moment? Were you in her house when she talked to you about it?
1: We were sitting in a lobby in a hotel in uh, Seattle, and uh, she had come with her husband, and I was there with Chris. When we met her, it was it was kind of a surreal experience. You know, we were these twenty-seven-year-old guys. Uh, with just an idea on a piece of paper.
0: Incidentally, in addition to Rebecca Capizio, another woman was pretty instrumental to you in the early days, and that was the former CEO of Hewlett-Packard, Carly Fiorina, mm-hmm. who had gone to high school randomly in Ghana. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did she help you?
1: At this time, I didn't know how to raise money. I had been to visit the uh, dean at the Stanford Business School t- to ask him for advice on how to raise money. And one of his advice to me, one of his piece of advice to me was that you should never ask for money in your first meeting with someone. So this is our first meeting with Carly Fiorina. (laughs) And, you know, we had lunch with her, and then at the end she said, okay, so why did you want to meet with me today?
0: Mm. And meanwhile, you have his advice in your ear. I have his advice
1: in my ear. I said, don't ask her for money. (laughs) So uh, I said, well, you know, perhaps you could help us with your um, relationships in the technology world to help us get some computers for our school. And he said, okay, fine, I'm happy to do that. And then she said, and I said, well, you know, maybe you could also help us build relationships with the South African government. And she said, yeah, sure, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> and then she said, is there anything else? And so at this point, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, she, you know, she's asking us if we need money. But the dean of Stanford said, don't ask for money on your first meeting. <gasps> so Chris is kicking me under the table saying, you know, <laughs> so then eventually I was like, well, we're also looking to raise money and, we, you know, perhaps you could uh, contribute Three months later, she gave us $100,000.
0: I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Fred Swaniker, founder of African Leadership Academy, a school focused on training Africa's future leaders. How did you uh, encourage applicants? How did you encourage people to come?
1: We had, you know, s- surveyed uh, parents. We had talked to headmasters of other schools in Africa, had asked them about, the concept that we were proposing and you know the feedback was generally quite positive but we had never actually spoken to young people (laughs) and if you think about it they were uh, sort of the client base the customers in a way so 2007 we said oh actually no we're opening our doors a year from now we need to start recruiting our first class so we hired a team of people and we went around and started visiting schools and we did a mailing to about 2,000 schools and We were shocked when um, the deadline arrived and we had received 1,700 applications from 35 countries for our first class. And there were only 100 places available.
0: Who were some students who really impressed you? You're like, wow, I want this student in my school.
1: One of the things we asked in the application form, we said, tell us about a time you identified a need in your community and Mm -hmm. what did you do about it? And so Belinda's application she talked about how she was in, in she lived in a in a suburb of uh, Harare in Zimbabwe and every day she used to see these three kids coming around and begging for food and so she approached them and, and to find out why they were begging and it turned out that their parents had died from AIDS and so she decided that she wanted to do something about this to help them so they could stop begging and she had been learning agriculture at school and and was learning how to raise chickens. So she asked her mom for, you know, about a couple of dollars and used that to buy a couple of chickens that could lay eggs. And she started, she built this chicken business. And with that, she was able to generate enough income that she was able to feed this family of three, these Mm. three kids. And then she taught the kids how to look after the chickens and also how to grow a vegetable farm and so on and soon they were able to look after themselves completely independently and they were able to have enough funding that the oldest child could not go to school. And she did all this by herself when she was 16, 17.
0: You created from the start a financial incentive for uh, your graduates to stay put in Africa. How does that work?
1: The vast majority of the young people that we admit to the academy cannot afford to pay the fees. So we give them scholarships. It costs about 25,000 US dollars per child for one year. We don't give them that scholarship as a grant, but as a forgivable loan. And so when they graduate from the two-year program and go into college, that loan continues accruing interest. So all we ask is that they return to Africa by the age of 25 and stay and serve the continent for the last for, for 10 years. They can do whatever they want to do in Africa. And if they don't uh, return, or if they leave at some point before they're 10 years old, then, then they have to repay that loan with interest. Mm-hmm. There's a model like this in Singapore and in Thailand There's a school called Raffles Junior College, and uh, they have a 97% return rate.
0: African Leadership Academy uh, aims to develop the next generation of leaders. What does that mean practically or daily? A big part of this development is what we call giving them practice
1: in leadership. So while they're at the academy, they they, they all have to do what's called a culminating project, where they either have to launch a business or launch a, a social venture in the community. And what we're trying to do there is to simulate the kind of experience that Mark Zuckerberg had in his dorm room at Harvard when he started Facebook. So over the last few years, we've launched about 42 different ventures, uh, ranging from a bank that operates on our campus to a farm on the campus to a clothing store to um, sustainable community uh, agricultural projects that have all been spearheaded by these young people. And we have a venture fund on our campus that invests in them. Uh, And our aim there is to really give them the taste of being an entrepreneur and being a leader in real time, in real life. And we believe that if you give them uh, uh, this defining experience at that age, it gives them the foundation and the passion to go on and do entrepreneurial ventures and and to be leaders on a much bigger scale later on in their lives. If I hadn't had this experience when I was 18, running my, my mother's school, I don't think I would have had the confidence or the experience to one day do... What I'm doing today with ALA, which is on a much bigger scale. And if you look back, a lot of entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, when he was 15, 16, was selling magazines,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that prepared him to go and launch Virgin one day. And so it's the same kind of practice and leadership that we like, that we spend a lot of time trying to give these young leaders. And then the other thing we're doing is uh, exposing them to a network of mentors and um, potential advisors and people who can open doors for them um, as they go through different stages of their lives.
0: So what's an example?
1: There's a a young man from um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, he's a refugee. He came to ALA uh, on a scholarship, and while he was there we had a guest speaker who visited campus. And this woman is involved in using theater as a way to help victims of trauma. Joseph was so struck by her, her talk that he said, you know, I really want to go and replicate this in my refugee camp. And in the process the woman also got so involved that she helped him raise 20,000 US dollars and he used that to build the first high school in his refugee camp. And that's all happened because of that network that was struck, that conversation that happened when she, when this woman visited campus to be a speaker.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. My guest has been Fred Swanaker, founder of African Leadership Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.com or follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. Our website is fromscratchradio.org. I'm Jessica Harris, and this is From Scratch.